You're listening to another This Is Your Podcast production. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Dunstan, joined by my man Keith Reedon for episode 40 of the Puck and Hoop podcast, part one. And despite the way our name flows, the Puck and Hoop podcast, we're starting with hoop in this part one because, well, quite frankly, the NHL's in hiatus right now with the All-Star break and all that. So there's a lot more fun and interesting things to talk about in the world of hoop. So we'll start there. And for my liking, Keith, the place to start is the Western Conference, which Uh, I guess over the course of the last couple of seasons, I start to see a significant shift in the power base there. As we can see, if you look at the top of the rankings right now, it's Oklahoma 1 and Minnesota 2, which may be surprising for some people. It's surprising to me that the T-Wolves have been able to maintain their uh, front-running ways to this point in the season sitting in second place, and less surprising that Oklahoma City has because, quite frankly, Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been an uh, MVP-worthy candidate in the NBA, and he's surrounded by a whole whack of talent. But let's start with the T-Wolves because I looked at them as a dysfunctional team earlier this season, and yet somehow they've managed to keep it together and keep winning. And in fact, they've played, uh, what, the Thunder four times this season and walk away with two victories. So um, they seem to be legit. Are you surprised at that? You know what? I am a little surprised at the T-Wolves' success. And mainly it's because of the way that the team is, you know, currently built. I mean, they're playing two bigs in Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, both guys listed as centers. I mean, two seven-footers in your lineup. And I know, I know, I know what you're going to say. You said it before, Carl Anthony Towns likes to play on the perimeter, <laughs> and I get it. But defensively is where, and I know they got the shot blocking, obviously, with Gobert, but defensively is what is surprising me a little bit, you know, with, with what they're doing. And interestingly, in this sort of era of crazy scoring feats, they're a team that is second in the Western Conference, but actually 12th in scoring, Brian. So that is what is surprising me about the T-Wolves and how they're getting it done. I mean, currently with a 34-15 and 15 record. I mean, really, they're in a tie for first place uh, with OKC. So, yeah, I, I'm surprised. Yeah, and, and and surprisingly, or not surprisingly, they've been doing it on the defensive end quite a bit. I mean, you have Rudy Gobert, who's what a multiple-time defensive player of the year. Uh, so they're they're getting the stops that they're necessary, and obviously scoring more than enough. With Anthony Edwards having, you know, he's vaulted himself into, I you know, if not the best two guard in the game, he's in the conversation for that. So you've got the scoring from Cat and Ant. And uh, an anchor defensively in Rudy Gobert and just a supporting cast that knows its role. And yeah, I am surprised that the Minnesota Timberwolves still find themselves at this point in the season as a viable contender for the best team in the Western Conference. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to mark myself down as surprised with this team for sure. Well, you know what, though? Um We talked about this, players going to major international competitions and having, you know, and playing great there. Anthony Edwards was the man for the USA in last year's uh, World Cup of Basketball. 
He was uh, clearly the guy. He was the go. He was designated the go-to guy, and I think that's helped him uh, this season. Right, vault into the leadership, clear leadership position on the T Wolves. And I mean, of course, you know they've got Carl Anthony Towns there as well. You know, and also a former number one overall pick, who's you know he's only twenty-eight and should be in the prime. But Anthony Edwards at twenty-two, Brian. He, for, for my money, he is leaped, like he's leading the team in scoring, but that's not it, really. He's the guy who's taking the big shots down the stretch. So I think that as he has come back, he played great last year's playoffs and down the stretch there, but his, his game has gone to another level. So I think he's dragged the team up with him to another level, uh, you know, at 34 and 15. Yeah. So that's where I am not surprised because his... Um, progression has clearly helped the team progress. And I mean, how many teams have two number one overall picks on their roster? You know, so, you know, the, these, they, they have the talent. So here they are. Here they are, and there they go. Now, another team to me that I guess you can't put them in the surprise category, but it's, boy, it's kind of like it's about time, are the Los Angeles Clippers, who are currently – in third place in the Western Conference, but they just might be the hottest team, at least on this side of the conference, uh, NBA, uh, in, in the entire league. And it's about time that we've seen a healthy and refreshed-looking Kawhi Leonard, a healthy and refreshed-looking Paul George, a somewhat motivated James Harden playing together, playing well, and leading this team into a place at the top of the Western Conference um, the Los Angeles Clippers have arrived, uh, what, four years after everyone thought they would? Brian, I got three numbers for you. Fire away. 47, 47, 43, and 44. Hmm. Do you know what the 47 is? No. The 47 is the amount of games that the Los Angeles Clippers have played so far. They're 32 and 15 a half game back behind OKC and Minnesota. So 47. Remember that number. 43 is the number of games that Kawhi Leonard has played this season. And 44 is the number of games that Paul George has played this season. There's not much to be said after that, is there? Yeah, I think you can throw out everything else. Those two, those three numbers, I believe, are why the Clippers are where people expected them to be, as you said, you know, four seasons ago when they when they put these two together. Right. Yep. And we know we know since December 1st, the Clippers have the best record in the NBA by far. I believe they've only lost five times since December 1st. So. Yeah, since December. Yeah, they've only lost five games, Brian. So, I mean, you are going to be near the top of the league with a, with a numbers like that. Recently, the Clippers were here in Toronto playing the Raptors. And uh, talk about the visual uh, display of talent disparity. It was evident that one team was obviously rebuilding, another team was built. Uh, particularly in the third quarter when Kawhi Leonard decided, I'm going to be Kawhi Leonard for about nine minutes. And they just had no answer for him as 
no team really does in the NBA. He decided that I'm just going to come down and score 12, 13 points and put this game way out of reach. So there's no doubt that this is a game that I don't have to play the fourth quarter in, which he played barely money a time in the fourth quarter. But it was just the, uh, not it wasn't even like, dramatic what he did he came down and just hit every shot he got uh, I think he got like every rebound for five minutes and it was just like he imposed his will on the game in a in a portion of the game just to say it's time for me to show you who I am and put this game out of reach and he did just that and that's the thing with Kawhi Leonard he does that against anybody and everybody when he's healthy and to see that Keith It just was a reminder of what a unique player this guy is. He's deadly from three. Is there a better mid-range player than him in the league right now? I don't think so. And he's also the best defensive player in the league when he's healthy. And those things put together make him virtually, if not, one of the handful of best players in the NBA. And you have a guy like that on your team, surrounded by the talent that they have. James Harden is fitting in. Russell Westbrook is coming off the bench and loving it. I mean, and Paul George, as you said, is healthy. So the Clippers are a dangerous squad and they are right around the top of the Western Conference. And man, I'm telling you, if you look at the Western Conference, you got to be thinking that may just be the toughest uh, conference in the NBA right now, because that is a stacked conference. And you know what? With Kawhi Leonard on their team, Brian, they're the team that I would actually pick to come out of the West. Um, Kawhi's experience, Kawhi's defense. We're expecting, you know, it's in the playoffs, you're going to see a more defensive uh, brand of basketball where, you know, nobody excels at that more than so than Kawhi Leonard over the last decade. But you know what's also interesting about Kawhi, Brian? He's mm-hmm. shooting 53% from the field. He's shooting 45% from three. He's shooting 88.6% from the line. Everybody <laughs> knows this guy is as efficient as a robot. Those, Brian, are career numbers in all three categories for Kawhi Leonard as, as he's, you know, an aged 32. And a friend of mine and I were talking about him at the beginning of the year, and I, I noted, uh, man, he looks slimmer. Still, he's still he's a big man, but he looked slimmer. And I know, uh, I think it was two seasons ago, remember he tried to work out a lot to, on his lower body to become bigger, to um, make it through a, a full NBA season? Well, that didn't work. I mean, he only played like 50 games, right? He's already at 43 games. He hasn't played a 60-game season since he was with the Toronto Raptors, Brian. And in that season, you know, that was, you know, when he started. Uh, what's what's the term for it that they're trying to, to ban in the NBA? Load management. He started, yeah, correct. He started his load management in that season. And I was freaking out that, oh, man, he missed 22 games. He has not approached a 60-game season with the Clippers. And he's almost... Uh, you know, he's on pace for about 75 games right now. So, I mean, they've got to be ecstatic with uh, how Kawhi Leonard has turned back the clock. Yeah, I think uh, the Clippers are obviously ecstatic about that. But the rest of the league 
has to be put on notice because if Kawhi Leonard is healthy, if the rest of the team is motivated and also healthy, because health has been an issue for both Harden and Paul George, I'm telling you, that would be the scariest team out there to face. A healthy and motivated Kawhi Leonard, that's a, that's a problem for everybody, man. And I don't care if you're uh, the, the newly arrived Minnesota Timberwolves, the young and upcoming Oklahoma City Thunder, or the reigning champs who we're going to get to next, Denver Nuggets. You take a look at what Kawhi Leonard brings as a two-time champion, as a guy who's just arguably the best two-way player we've ever seen short of Michael Jordan. And you got to say, if we have to go through them to get to the championship, uh, you know, you're going to give yourself a bit of a pause. All right, so we did mention, I, well, I did. I mentioned the Denver Nuggets, the reigning champs. Let's talk about them because they currently sit in fourth place in the West. And, uh, hey, Keith, it's like they're just playing with house money right now. They're going through the season at a nice, sedate pace. Jamal Murray's obviously worked himself back into the shape he was in before his knee injury. And the Joker, Nikola Jokic, is still doing Joker-like things. Um, you know, until you beat the champ, they are the champ. But uh, they're in fourth place in the West. Um, a good place to be in if you're the reigning champs, sure, because you're firmly ensconced in the playoff spot. But I wonder if they got to be a little shook by the fact that they are looking up in the standings at teams that are, you know, significantly better than what they were last season. Yeah, you know what? They're looking up, Ryan, but not far up. I mean, they're only a, you know, they're only a half game. Uh, they've got one more loss than Minnesota and OKC. Think of that. And Clippers, right? I mean, in effect, these teams are really in a virtual tie. I mean, one game, uh, Denver has the best home record in the league, which we would kind of expect, right? You know, they, they've got a built-in home court advantage with the altitude. Um, but the, yeah, they've got the mm -hmm. best home record. And as you said, Joker is doing Joker-like things. Remember that stretch about two weeks ago where this guy shot, what, over four games, yep. like 87.5% from the field? And it wasn't like he was trying, yeah. it wasn't like he was taking, um, you know, five foot shots the whole time. He had that, he had that, that uh, period. Remember he hit that crazy game winner. This guy was shooting threes. <laughs> um, you know, he is shooting 58.7% from the field. Obviously, it was helped by that by that crazy stretch, but uh, you know this is this is uh, I, I mean it's not even his career high. I mean he shot sixty three percent last year, but at his rate of efficiency, the amount he touches the ball, the amount Jamal Murray touches the ball, and these guys are both just crazy efficient when they're handling the ball. So I mean, you know, they're going to make they're making good decisions. Jamal Murray's shooting, you know, uh, a career best thirty nine point nine percent from three, forty seven percent from you know the field. Like these guys are, you know, it's going to be crazy. And even if they do finish fourth, Brian, we've seen that they can go last year's playoffs that they can go on the road and win big games in the playoffs. So I mean. You never know. Uh, any slip by Minnesota, any slip by OKC, and the Clippers, I mean, can the Clippers keep up this crazy pace since December? I mean, any slip by these teams, and we may see the Denver Nuggets 
in first place. Yeah. Well, I got to admit, Keith, I was being a little facetious when I said that Denver was looking up at the rest of the Western Conference leaders. But yeah, that that four-pack atop the Western Conference is as good a four-pack of teams as we've seen come out of the West in a long time. And the fact that the Denver, the reigning champs, are the fourth, supposedly, team in that pack, you know, I mean... it's at this point in the season, does it really matter? Not really. It's where you finish that counts, and they're going to be right there at the end of the season anyway. I got to tell you about the Nuggets, though, man. I am really impressed by their supporting cast. Michael Porter Jr., Contavious, Caldwell Pope, Aaron Gordon. Um, those three guys in particular, to me, have really made this team the championship team that they currently are. I, yeah, you've got two all-world players in Jamal Murray, Canada's finest, and Nikola Jokic. Um, but that supporting cast has really blossomed in uh, since coming to Denver. I mean, we all know the story of Michael Porter Jr., two back surgeries, uh, delayed start to his career in the NBA. Aaron Gordon, a high draft pick in Orlando, supposed to be the man there, never quite to got to that level, comes into a perfect scenario to play with the perfect player for him in Denver. And Contavious Caldwell-Pope, how the Lakers let this guy go, I'll never know. But the Denvers must be thanking the Lakers every day because he's been a perfect fit for them. And the bench uh, has just been fantastic. So, hey, you got to beat the champ to be the champ. So I think anyone who has uh, hopes of being the NBA champ are going to have a tough time knocking off this squad because they are fit and ready to go the distance this season from just just from watching them play you can tell that they're they have their focus firmly locked in on that championship and why shouldn't they they're the you know arguably the best team in the nba maybe not by record but whenever they play the better teams they look like they're ready to play yeah and uh, you know we we talk about health and michael porter jr last year played a career high 62 games started all 62 brian he's at a career high in minutes 31.6 and he's made 50 starts this season playing in every single one of Denver's games I mean that's huge that's huge for him right I mean he's still he's just he's still only 25 but he's in his you know he's in his sixth season right and he missed the first season Mm -hmm. um and all but you know nine games of a of a of a third season second season so yeah, health is huge for these guys, and I can only see them uh, getting more cohesive with all their starters playing together for the first time fully and fully healthy in what, you know, three seasons? They didn't even have all the starters yeah. in last year, and they still won the championship no. for the full season. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think that the West, uh, come if, the, if it runs true to form, um, you know, we're not even talking about other, you know, the Lakers and other teams like that. But if the, and the Suns, if it runs true to form, though, the West playoffs are going to be crazy this year. No, oh, no question. High powered, explosive teams duking it out in the first round. The first round of the NBA playoffs, if we can transport ourselves to that point uh, already in this season, looks like if if the matchups were what they are as they're laid out now, and it's hard to predict that because of the play-in round, but just looking at the 1-8 to eight scenario, um, 
man, it would, it's going to be awesome basketball. And I, and I tell you, Keith, there is a, it looks like, as, as we've talked about early in this podcast, there is a division of power in the West now. Uh, the four teams we've talked about, Oklahoma, Minnesota, the Clippers, and Denver, are definitely the top tier in the Western Conference, no question. The next level, the next tier, if you will, of Phoenix, New Orleans, Dallas, Los Angeles, I'm not going to put Utah in there quite yet because they're struggling of late. But those four teams, they're a notch below. And I'm going to put a codicil on that. Phoenix has not been healthy all year. If they were healthy, if they were healthy, I would put them in the next tier with Sacramento. Because Sacramento, to me, separates themselves between those two tiers. You know, Sacramento is a team that's not quite as good as the four teams at the top, but they're certainly better than the four middle teams I just mentioned. But if if Phoenix can get healthy, I mean, you just look at the talent that's at their at their disposal: uh, Booker, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant. That's a lot of firepower to contend with on any team. And in this day and age of high scoring offenses, if you got to look out for those three in a game in a playoff series in a short series, well, that's going to be tough to deal with. But Let's talk about the Sacramento Kings who were kind of in that in between those two tiers before we get deep into the the next four teams at the at the uh in the playoff spots there. Sacramento a lot of people thought they would be uh hovering near the top of the Western Conference and they've been doing okay this year. Well, I mean, what's their record? They're what 26 and No, 28 and 19. 18, 28 and 19 right now. 28 and 19. 28 and 19. Not quite the record people expected them to have at this point in the season. And, I, you know, you look at them and you think, yeah, that's a super high-powered offense. They've got the presence of DeMontis Sabonis inside doing crazy things. De'Aaron Fox is impossible to stay in front of. Harrison Barnes is having a renaissance. But they haven't quite got what the other teams at the top of the conference have, and that is just that that missing ingredient. And I wonder if that means we're going to see a trade with them or are they just who they are? They're just a team that has tremendous offense and not quite enough to be a dominant team in a packed Western conference. Where do you stand with the the Sacramento Kings? You know, right now, um, when I look at the Kings, it it almost seems that, as you mentioned, Harrison Barnes is playing great. Uh, The second year man, Keegan Murray, Started 43 games. He's almost at, he's at 16 points a game. Malik Monk, great shooter off the bench. Not a starter, obviously. I said he's off the bench, but 14 points a game. But here's the thing. I just seem to think that they are just missing a little when they go up to the second unit. Like Malik Monk seems to be all the offense that they have, all the offense that they can depend on on their second unit. Um, Mm. so, I mean, for me, it just seems like maybe, as you mentioned, a trade, a trade maybe for another veteran, especially another veteran, uh, point guard might be in order. You know, they're those kind of guys, the the Patrick Beverly type of guy, you know what I mean, Brian, that that'll scrap you for everything on the second, on the second unit, you know, make those defensive plays, agitate, um, you know, agitate, just be scrappy. I think they're missing a guy like that. And I think they're also missing 
I mean, it, it, Sabonis masks this a bit, but I think they're missing a, a bit of rebounding, you know, another guy to have a rebounder. Sabonis gets, you know, 13 rebounds a game. So I think he masks that. But Keegan Murray has the second most rebounds per game on their team, and he's only averaging 5.4. So I think that... Well, it shows you where their deficiencies are, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, so to me, it seems like you need another guy in there, another veteran guy to kind of come in there and board, and another scrappy guard, not really to score. This team has scorers, but just uh, those two things, If I uh, just looking at their roster... And I think might be able, I mean, they could add those things, Brian, and still not vault into the top four, right? I mean, that top four is so packed. Yeah. But um, it may, yeah. you know, it may help them in the playoffs. And I'm talking like, you know, these guys are 10 games out. They're still only five games out. And they have not played yeah. their best basketball. They did not play their best basketball in the month of January. And they're still only five games back. They were seriously in the hunt for Pascal Siakam before he got traded to the Indiana Pacers. And I think he would have been a perfect fit out there, much as he's fit in well with the uh, Pacers because of the, the pace of play that both of those teams like to bring to the court. And also, he's a rebounder. He helps on the boards, and he would have been a perfect fit alongside DeMontis Sabonis. So I can understand why they were heavily interested in him. And I wonder if they're looking for a player of that ilk still. Although, I mean, there are a few far between the players with the all all around skills of a Pascal Siakam, but there, you know, somebody's got to be available for them because they, they do need something, Keith. And I think that would help is another front court player who can handle the ball a little bit and um, help on the boards. But they are definitely missing something, and I, I'm kind of I wouldn't I don't want to come back to the surprise factor, but I thought that Sacramento would be in the mix at the top of the Western Conference based on how they played at the end of the season last year, but. Um, They've been kind of up and down this season, Keith, and it seems like that's going to be continuing for them unless they make a change. It's funny you should mention Keegan Murray because he's been a guy they've talked about moving on from. And I'm wondering about that because still a very young player, still a very effective player. And do you really want to move off from that guy after you, you sent Tyrese Halliburton to the Pacers just a couple of seasons ago? Um, you got to build for the future, even if you are building towards something now. And a guy like Keegan Murray is a piece you definitely want to keep if you have any hope of being a successful franchise down the road. Yeah, I keep I keep forgetting that they uh, they traded Tyrese Halliburton, but I mean, hey, that's how they got Sabonis, right? That's how they got Sabonis. So you got to give something I mean, to get something, right? Exactly. So, but I mean, as I said, you know, maybe they can add, you know, a defensive guard. And, a, and a, you know, a scrappy. I don't even think you need a player of Pascal Siakam's uh, quality, um, mm-hmm. especially in scoring-wise. But you do need a guy who can, go and, who can go and get you a ball here and there. I mean, yeah. I didn't even check their, I, you know, I'm a stats guy. I didn't even check their rebound differential. But I would almost bet that they are in a negative rebound differential, you know, from Which game Which is crazy when you game. look at the number of rebounds that, Sabonis inhales on a nightly basis because, but he's their only board guy. One guy can't get the job done. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So enough about the Kings, but uh, let's dive into the Phoenix Suns a little bit because they they kind of are lurking in the weeds. You know, I mean, they've had uh, another 
team that's had an up and down season, primarily due to injuries to the big three of Booker, Durant, and Beal. Um, I saw Beal get smacked in the face with an elbow from a, I can't remember who the big guy was, but it was like, this guy can't catch a break this year. He had just come back <laughs> from whatever injury had uh, fall, befallen him, and he's taken a charge from some gigantic seven-footer and takes an elbow flush on his nose. Like, it was just like, come on. To his credit, he came back in the game, you know, with the, you know, with the two tampons sticking out of his nostrils. But I'm like, this guy, is, 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 he's cursed since he went to the desert. All that to say this, if and when they get fully healthy and they can get a run of games together, there are a few offensive, offensive teams that have the firepower that the Suns can bring to the fore in any game. And that alone, Keith, given the way the basketball is played in this day and age of the NBA, is enough to put the fear of God into any team that they might have to face in the playoffs. Yeah, you know what? I, I've always, I like Kevin Durant teams. I've, told, I've said this a number of times. The fact that he does not have to dominate the ball to score 25, 30 points every single night is a, is a massive thing, especially on a team with a Devin Booker, uh, a Bradley Beal who's only played 25 games this season. But these guys are shot makers and, and shot takers and shot makers. And the fact that Kevin Durant can fit around his offense into like into almost any spot. You know, if, if he if you need 30, he'll get you 30. If you only need 20, he'll get you 20. You know, he may he'll get you that 20 maybe on 13, 14 shots. I mean, the fact that this guy can, you know, the fact that he can do that effectively makes this team dangerous. And especially in the playoffs, if you have uh, Kevin Durant and you've got Devin Booker healthy, uh, you know, like you've got two guys who can take the last shot. It's crazy. Both guys are averaging over 28 points a game, um, <laughs> you know, but, you know, they, they do share the the bulk of the offensive responsibility. But if you can get Beal in there, you know, Beal at his best might be a 28-point-per-game scorer as well. But yeah. I think it's been really hard for him to get going, right? Comes into the lineup, he gets injured. Comes into the lineup, he takes, a, he takes a, an unfortunate shot to the face. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's only played in 25 games. Um, this is obviously not what they had in mind when they uh when they traded for him you know this you know this guy uh, you know he's one of the people i saw him play live once against the raptors and i was shocked how much better he is in person than and he was on a you know a not very good washington team when i watched him and here's a guard who routinely was shooting in the high 48 40% percentage points last year he shot over 50 percent and the reason being is this guy is so smooth in getting to the hole and shockingly long at six foot four just a shockingly smooth and long player i think that you know we haven't seen the best of the suns yet brian yeah i know and that's got to be giving you know shivers to the rest of the western conference because if they get their act together that could be a legendary offensive team. It's funny, you know, you look at the Suns. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, so I can go back a long time with the Suns. It's like they've always had teams like this. 
tremendous offensive capability, yet they're always a little banged up here, a little banged up there, missing a little something here or there. And it's the same situation now with this team. Tremendous offensive capabilities. The fact that they're not leading the, the NBA in offense is only due to the fact that some of these guys have been banged up. Because I guarantee you, if they were healthy, there is no team that would put up more points than the Phoenix Suns. And once they get to the point where they're healthy, and it's coming, you know, it is coming. There's still a fair bit of season left here. They're going to be scoring at an unbelievable rate. It's just the nature of the beast with these guys. They have guys that put the ball in the hole on a regular basis throughout their career. Why would that change now? The answer to that is it's not going to. So if I'm the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Timberwolves, the OKC Thunder, and yeah, I'm going to throw the Sacramento Kings in there, and I'm looking ahead and forecasting about who we got to play. If I see the Suns up there in the distance just lurking, I'm going to say, hmm, better lace up our sneakers, man, because this is going to be something. That's how devastating an offense this Suns could be. And I'll tell you, Keith, you, you watch them play, and it's coming. You know, Devin Booker is red hot right now. Kevin Durant is is healthy. And Beal is coming back and is back. And if he can keep his nose away from other people's elbows, they're going to be an unbelievable trio to watch play down the road. Yeah. I, hey, you know what? I don't think uh, there's anything more to say uh, on the Suns. I mean, you know, their offense is obviously proven and guys who can get it done. So, yeah, I mean, they've got a lot to prove. And right now, what are they in sixth place, sixth spot, fifth spot, sixth spot? Yeah. I mean, that just tells you these first round <laughs> matchups in the West are going to be, yeah, they're six, are going to be unbelievable, Brian. Can you imagine that you're the Clippers and you in third right now, you say you stay in third and your first match round matchup is the Suns? Now, I got to be honest. I got to be honest, I, I think that would scare the Suns more than the Clippers just because, you know, you've got that, you've got that guy, uh, number two there. Yeah. You got Kawhi Leonard, who defensively is the one guy who can match up with, you know, a Kevin Durant, a LeBron James one-on-one, one-on-one, mm-hmm. on one, Brian, and stop them. So, I mean, but yeah, these matchups are going to be crazy. I mean... You know, if you're if you're the you know the defending champ Nuggets and you stay in fourth, you got Sacramento in the first round. Yeah. You know, a young and hungry team. So yeah. who can Some who can put up points? Offense, as we said. So, yeah. I mean, that would be a great battle. I, I want to say, you know, battle of those two European centers. You know, yeah. although I think that uh, I was going to say I I, I think. Um, uh, Sabonis was actually born like in Portland when his dad was there, but uh, grew up in Europe. Yeah. All right, we should wrap up our Western Conference uh, tour with a look at some of the teams that are hovering around the bottom of the playoff picture. The Dallas Mavericks, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Utah Jazz. You got to throw Houston in there. And the Golden State Warriors, who are just, I don't know what to say about them. Like The dynasty's over, clearly. And uh, they're looking old, clearly, but they still have Steph. Draymond is still Draymond. Clay is not quite Clay. And Jonathan Kaminga is starting to play, but they are on the outside looking in. So I want to start with them and say, 
Do you think that there's a late playoff push to come from this team, or are they done? Um, you know what? I, I look at them, and I think that they're I, – I don't want to say it, but I, I do think they're done. I think they've been, they've been passed by too many young teams. I mean, do, do they have a shot to get into the uh, play-in? Yeah, they got a shot to get in the play-in. I mean, they're only, what, uh, a game, a, a half a game behind the Jazz, you know, only uh, a game and a half behind the Lakers. So they do have a shot. I mean, it, what's, what's shocking is, you know, when you look at teams in the NBA, they always have to win at home. And the Golden State Warriors are only, and I say only, 500 at home. You know, compare that to the Nuggets, 20 and 4. Yeah. You know, that's what a successful team in the NBA looks like. Until you can start winning consistently at home, then, you know, maybe you, you can't be looked at as a real player in the West. Maybe they can get into, you know, the 10th spot. But the Jazz, who are in 10th, the Lakers, who are in ninth, both have excellent home records. So it's it's almost like they can count on winning at home, where, you know, the Golden State Warriors at this point in the season can't count on really anything. So, I mean, you know, can they catch the Jazz, the Lakers? Maybe, but I wouldn't count on it. I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, I want to lump the Utah Jazz and the Houston Rockets, who just put a whooping on the Toronto Raptors recently. Um, but uh, as two young and up-and-coming teams that aren't quite playoff ready, even though they're hovering around playoff spots, but definitely teams that you look at and say, yeah, man, the future is bright for them. So let's uh, just skip over those two and go right to the Lakers and the Mavericks, who have two of the seminal players in the NBA, and Luka Doncic and obviously LeBron James, and they're both hovering in the play-in position. Um I don't know if it's a disappointing season for them or if it's kind of like there are two teams that are content to lay in the weeds and make a run because they've seen other teams, you know, lay back in Miami Heat for one and go through the rigors of the play and get all the way to the final. But if is that a route you really want to go? But anytime you have a player or players the caliber of a Luka Doncic and a LeBron James, you got to be a feared opponent. And and that's the thing that I'm looking at with both of those teams. If they can maintain uh, some semblance of health and some consistency down the stretch and just get into the playoffs, do you really want to get into a shortened uh, series with those two teams? Well, you know what? I think, you know, your, your thought of them laying in the weeds. Um, I think the Los Angeles Lakers, that's a better strategy if you – you know, if you think it's a strategy for them, because they've been there before. You know what I mean? They've yeah. won. They've got players on their squad who have proven it in the playoffs. The Mavericks haven't proven any such thing. So I think if you're a team like the Mavericks, I mean, you got to go through the season as best you can. And I mean, they are four games over 500. Um, but in this Which has to be West, a little bit disappointing, doesn't it? Yeah, no, 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 it is. I think it is disappointing for them, you know? And mm-hmm. again, I look at the home records. I'm shocked. The Lakers' home record, okay, the Lakers are 500 team, 25 and 25. Their home record, Brian, is 17 and 8. You know, I, I that surprises me. But 
as I look at it, I think that really bodes well for them. You know, a 17-8 and eight home record, I think that they've got stuff to build on. And I think, Brian, they this might be hyperbole, I think they might have had the best win in the NBA this season the other night when they beat the Boston Celtics without AD and without LeBron in the lineup. That was a Austin crazy Reeves game. went off for like, <laughs> what did he score? That was a crazy Third. game. Yeah, Austin Reeves went off for like, what, 30 plus points? Yeah. Um, seven threes. Like, and they beat the Boston Celtics on the road. That might be the best win that I've seen a team have this season. So, you know what? LeBron had been calling out, uh, you know, the supporting cast. And then the supporting cast goes out and wins a massive game without LeBron and AD. So, uh, you know, that's got to bode really well and speak really well of those players that they responded in that way. You know, like you look at that game. Uh, Torian Prince played 38 minutes. Uh, this kid that I liked from Texas, Jackson Hayes, seven-footer, was in the lineup for AD. Six of eight, uh, four or five from the free throw line, 16 points and 10 boards, uh, I believe, in his first start in of the year. You know, D'Angelo Russell didn't shoot well, but orchestrated the offense, 14 assists. And as I said, Austin Reeves, 32 points. This is a team that without LeBron James, you know, Max Christie played 23 minutes. You know, uh, know, the 21-year-old guard there played 20, oh, he's still 20, 21 minutes in this game. And, you know, he had, you know, nine points against the Celtics on the road. So that impressed me. If they can, you know, giving those guys confidence to play without LeBron and AD, that could be a, a bit of a turning point. Because if they can win on the road, man, they become dangerous again. No question. All right. We have really taken a, our, uh, our, our tour through the Western Conference in depth. So we should do the same thing with the Eastern Conference now. Let's turn our attention there, Keith. And quite similarly uh, as to the West, there is a bit of a separation, I think, uh, amongst the top four teams or the top eight teams in the, in the West in the Eastern Conference, with the top four teams separating themselves from the from the rest of the uh, conference in Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and the, the red hot New York Knicks. Uh, we're going to start at the very top, the team that's got the best record in the NBA, the Boston Celtics, despite that loss to the Lakers, are are still the best team by record in the NBA. And they're doing it with an offense that is heavily reliant on three, but a defense that is really getting back to the levels they had under Ime Udoka a couple of seasons ago. Um, they've proven that they can play defense uh, at a level that is commensurate with championship teams. Now, whether they can carry that through through the rest of the season is going to be the question because they've been knocking on the door of the championship for the entirety of the Tatum-Brown era in Boston. Uh, But this may be the best defense I've seen them play as a unit. And there's reasons for that, which we'll dive into. So the Boston Celtics are at the top of the Eastern Conference, Keith. I don't think that there's any surprise there. They're a very complete team. But do you really look at them and say, yeah, there's a championship 
team there? Um, you know what? You seem hesitant. I think because, well, you know what? I was hesitant in, in that Boston, when they look good, they look great. Yeah. And when they look bad, they can look terrible. Uh, you know I was what? Let me what sorry I, to interrupt you there, Keith, but you know what that is? That's their reliance on the three-point shooting because when they're hitting their threes there, how do you stop them? And I think that oh, yeah. they shoot as many threes as anybody in the NBA. And when they're not going in, they don't look great. Yeah. I mean, they have the best point differential in the league, which you kind of would expect for a team that's on top of the league in the, in the standings. Um, but, you know, what? one thing I like is they've gotten more out of Kristen, Kristaps Porzingis than they expected. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been in and out of the lineup lately. Um, But the thing, the reason and the main reason I think they're going to be dangerous is I think that Drew Holiday is an otherworldly defensive point guard. And I also think that he's just such a smart player. And I I know I call him a point guard, but he's it's almost like he's, he's more of a guard. Just like, you know, when they just the position of guard, he's he's so smart and does a lot of the little things defensively, especially, I think that is, um, you know, I think that's going to help the Celtics. And, you know, they move very quickly to get Drew Holiday uh, this offseason, very quickly. And it shows um, in their, you know, them having, I guess they allow the second least amount of points in the East and they're up there near the top of scoring, hence the, the best differential. So, I mean, yeah, I believe they can get there, especially in the East, because I think every team in the East is flawed. Yeah, yeah, good point. And we're going to dive into that as well. That's, that's a good point you bring up. And that is a great transition point to the team that currently holds second spot in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks, who somehow have managed themselves to a 32-14 and 14 record despite having, I don't know, an, a, a tumultuous relationship with their previous coach, Adrian Griffin. And now Doc Rivers is the head coach there. Um, you know, I don't know if I've ever seen a team fire a coach with a better record. Other, that wasn't the Cleveland Cavaliers under David <laughs> Blatt. <laughs> and... Um, it just is, how do you come back from that in a season where he gets championship or bust from you? Is that enough to keep them on their championship track, bringing in a veteran coach like Doc Rivers? I, I don't know. It, it makes you wonder, man, because you can take, take a situation like that and it creates discord and it creates, like, they have to look at themselves and say, are we the team that we should be? Are we a team that we can rely on each other down the stretch? I I would question that based on what's happened with them. But you are who your record says you are. And right now, they're the second best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, officially, we were told that, uh, you know, oh, the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, they got rid of Adrian Griffin because the team isn't responding, especially defensively. Now, as you mentioned, they had a great record under him, um, you know, but we both know they got rid of perhaps the best defensive guard in the league in Drew Holiday in the offseason. And surprise, surprise, their defense is suffering, especially their perimeter defense. 
Well, so thank you, Dave you know, Lillard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you you take away one of the best defensive guards in the league, arguably the best, and add a sub par defensive guard into his rotation spot, and and yeah, and change happens. I'm a guy, Brian. That by the way, in the in the uh, in the two games after they got rid of Adrian Griffin. Uh, they did allow less points than they than they generally do, but they did happen to lose both of those games. I'm a guy who doesn't really buy into Doc Rivers. I mean, you know, for me, he's he had he's been at a lot of stops. He's gotten close. I I think he's still dining out on his Boston Celtics championship um, from what now 15 seasons ago, 16 <laughs> seasons ago. Uh, I don't really buy into the Doc Rivers hype. I don't really, I don't, I've never really seen him as a great defensive coach. He had great defensive players at times, the Kevin Garnett's of the world, right? Um, So, I mean, I don't buy into Doc Rivers as an answer. But you know what, Brian, as you will say, doesn't matter what I, what I do. The Milwaukee Bucks, by getting rid of Adrian Griffin and bringing um, Doc Rivers in have taken away any form of excuse that they have, and the play the pressure is now all squarely on the players to perform. And for them, you know, with their great record, I mean, and they're you know not so long ago winning the championship, I think they they now um, must win the NBA championship or they've underachieved. Yeah, that's the only thing with them that they got to be looking at. This has to be a championship or bust season for them, particularly after, you know, going forcing a coaching change, particularly after voicing, uh, you know, or not voicing, but letting the discord that was impacting your locker room leak out into the into the media by whatever means they did. I mean, people know that there was something wrong with that Bucks team, despite their lofty record. And you know, that's an organization that usually keeps things close to the vest. I mean, when was the last time you heard of a scandal in Milwaukee? It just doesn't happen. But <laughs> there Kareem, is a bit of a when scandal When Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wanted out of the Milwaukee. Wasn't that another millennia ago? Anyway, <clears throat> I thought I was the old one in this duo. Anyway, it's, it's funny that uh, Milwaukee has this situation brewing because this was the year that they said – or people said that, you know, that's it. This has to be a championship season for them. Or we could see significant changes in and around Giannis Antetokounmpo. And who knows what his future is because he sort of let some hints go and he's not happy. And if Antetokounmpo is not happy, you better do something to find a way to keep him happy because there's, you know, there's few players in the league that you can build around and he is definitely one of them. All right. Uh, we've talked about surprises in and in, in, in around the Western Conference and some in the Eastern Conference. The New York Knicks have to be the surprise team in the Eastern Conference. I didn't see this coming, and I don't know where it's coming from, but man, they are a fun team to watch. They play hard-nosed defense. Jalen Brunson is a shot-making demon, and Julius Randle, before he separated his shoulder, was having another all-NBA season, and OG Ananobi is the elixir that fixes all things for the Knicks. Um, 
New York Knicks, are they the hottest team in the NBA still? I think they are. What a team to watch play, man. I am I am so surprised at them. Hey, they're 15-2 and two since acquiring OG Ananobi. And this team, go. the other night, I uh, was looking forward to watching the Knicks play the Pacers because I thought, oh, I might be able to see a matchup of OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam. Well, that didn't materialize because... Uh, you know, we know Mr. Ananobi, who flashes brilliance, especially defensively, um, you know. But, uh, again, he was he was injured. That's always been the problem with OG. With Another one of his phantom injuries. I, you know, I shouldn't call them phantom injuries. They're just odd. He gets his eye scratched. He hurts, you know, he hurts his wrist. He pulls a hamstring, like he just he cuts his finger in some kitchen incident. He gets the most unorthodox injuries at the weirdest times uh, throughout his career. That's just that's just OG doing oh, OG yeah. things. I With think. OG and Julius Randle out, I watched that Pacers game the other night. The Pacers were up double digits in the second half. And yep. Brunson, Jalen Brunson, took a shot to the face, which I don't believe was called a foul. And after that shot, it was like it was on. He started that game, Brian. He wasn't shooting well. I remember, I think he was like two for 10 at one point. And he, start, he finished the game, I believe he had four. I know he had 40 points, but he shot 50% for the game. I don't know his exact numbers, but he shot 50%. So he was just taking and making shots down the stretch. And they come from behind, four-point win, 109-105. And think about that. Without OG, they held the Pacers, highest-scoring team in the league, right? 124 points a game. They held the Pacers to 105 points in a come-from-behind win, which means in the fourth, they just locked the Pacers down. Yeah, and that's been the most impressive thing I've seen about, other, other than the play of Jalen Brunson, who I want to dive into in a second. Um, their defense is, is legit. They play defense with the addition of OG, unlike any other team in the NBA. They are in your face, pressuring you all the time. It is constant. It is unrelenting. It is a joy. And like, I love watching teams play defense, especially in the NBA today where there's very little. I mean, I think you can look at the Celtics as a team that plays defense. Definitely the New York Knicks. There was a time when the Bucks hung their hat on defense. But, I mean, it's now 120 to 130 on a nightly basis. But the way the New York Knicks play, you are in for an alley brawl every night against this team. And that is where Jalen Brunson comes in. If there is a tougher little guard in the NBA, I don't know who it is. This guy, you look at him, not the most athletic looking guy in the league, not the quickest guy in the league. Try stopping him from getting to the hoop. Try stopping him from getting his shot off. Try stopping him from making his shot. This guy... I don't I don't know what to say about him, man, but he is a joy to watch play. Yeah, I mean, I actually uh, tell my now 15-year-old son, I tell my son to watch Jalen Brunson play. I've liked this guy ever since he was at Villanova because I always think championship DNA, Brian, is championship DNA. Mm-hmm. This guy 
was a two-time national champ and played a heavy role, even as a freshman, on that Villanova team. I was actually shocked that he was a second-round pick. Now, I mean, he was a high second-round pick. It was 33, number 33. So I think he was, what, third pick of the second round? But I was shocked that he fell to um, the second round. But that's just the NBA, right? He was a four-year guy. He didn't have the quote-unquote measurables of, uh, you know, being perhaps 6'2", being a stockier player at, you know, listed 190 points. But yeah, this guy, uh, points, I said (laughs) pounds. Um, But this guy just knows how to win. And that is shown, Brian, in those close games, those games that they, like he played against the Pacers. Mm -hmm. He is not going to blink. And as you said it, you cannot stop him from getting to his spot and taking the highest percentage shot that he possibly can, you know? And he's a master, an absolute master of stop and go, uh, you know, quick speed up, slow down the pace. He's an absolute master of that type of basketball. So, yeah, it is a joy to watch. Yeah the Knicks win and them to, you know, play highly efficient basketball. I have to mention though, very quickly, OG's played in 14 games for the Knicks and they are 12 and two in the 14. But, but that does, that's not what surprises me. As I, as I mentioned, without OG and without Randall in the lineup, the Knicks are on a nine game heater. A nine-game winning streak. They are the hottest team in the NBA by any metric at this current time. Yeah, they are. They're something, man. I, you know, I, I tell you, <clears throat> I've never been a New York Knicks fan. I always grew up a Sixers fan, as you know. And then when we got the Raptors, my allegiance just switched to the Raptors for the for the best part. But this Knicks team, just you, you watch them play, and you think, man, that's. That's just the way to play basketball. Play hard, be relentless, make your shots, and and share the ball. They're a fun team to watch. And <laughs> I don't know, man. There's something about watching Tom Thibodeau coaching on the sideline. Which he's always standing there barking at his players. No matter how well they play, he's just barking, barking, barking. And um, I guess they, he pushes them to the, to the heights they've achieved at this point in the season. But fun team to watch. The team that's currently in fourth in the Eastern Conference, the Cleveland Cavaliers, have me scratching their heads. One, I look at the standings and I'm thinking, well, I know how they're in fourth. They're in fourth because Philadelphia lost Joel Embiid a couple games ago. But the fact that the Cavaliers have been able to maintain a position in the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference, you know, I'm surprised because they've been beset by injuries all season long, but they have maintained a winning posture throughout the season. Uh, you know, obviously, Daryl Mitchell, Daryl Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell is having a great season, all-star season again. And uh, Garrett Allen has proved that he's much more than a defensive presence. Uh, his offense has gone through the roof. So those two guys are the leaders there. But 
you know, without Evan Mobley for a large part of the season, without uh, the, the the point guard there, Gar- Garland, uh, they've proven themselves to be a team that can be a factor in the playoffs. Uh, I'm a little surprised that the Cleveland Cavaliers being in the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference. I got to admit. Yeah, and I, and I think, as you mentioned, you know, they've had multiple players in and out of the lineup. You know, Donovan Mitchell, their leading scorer, but who's now playing, who's now very mm-hmm. hot uh, in the last 10 games. Uh, Darius Garland out. I mean, the only the only consistent guy they've had in the lineup night in and night out has been Ma- Max Struess coming over from Miami, uh, who's playing very well. Yeah, good pickup, very good pickup. Good pick and he's going to the hole more. You know, Miami was more of a spot-up guy, and here he's uh, driving a lot more. But you know what? When I watch Cleveland, what impresses me the most is that, as we're saying, they have guys in and out of the lineup. I don't think I've seen a team that has more balanced scoring up and down their roster. You know, they've got, I say they've got what? One, two, three, four, five, six. They've got nine guys that are over eight and a half points a game. You know, Donovan Mitchell leads with 28. That's incredible. Over 20 with 28, but eight guys with over eight and a half points a game, very balanced scoring. And you know, they they and then they've got Dean Wade who started 30 games, who's not a scorer in the NBA, but you know, it's 5.7. They got the rookie Craig Porter, 7 7 points a game. You know, so they've got such balanced scoring up and down the lineup and I think that's the way they've been able to win some games that they probably shouldn't have and you know and mm-hmm. and basically batten down the hatches while you know their stars have been out so they you know they looks like they've developed this whole second unit that can give other teams fits Brian yeah, it's interesting that, you know, the New York Knicks are considered to be the hottest team in the NBA right now. They're, you know, won nine of their last 10 games. But you know who else has won nine of their last 10 games? Yeah. The Cavs. And no one's really talking about them. Uh, you know, we can say that they're in, what, third, fourth place in the NBA or in the Eastern Conference? Fourth place because uh, the Sixers lost Embiid for, uh, earlier this week. But the Cavs are worthy of their lofty position by the fact that they are not losing. It doesn't matter who's in the lineup. They, as you said, their depth has been a, a very present factor this season. But they are proven that they are a team that's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the Eastern Conference. And it is that depth that's making them uh, as difficult a team to play against. But... <clears throat> And this is a guy that I don't think gets enough credit. Garrett Allen has been a revelation offensively. He's great rolling to the hoop. Uh, he does everything you can ask of him defensively. But he's he's making shots. And he was never seen as a shot maker and well until this season. So the improvement by him has certainly uh, managed to... Over, overlay the fact that they've had guys in and out of the lineup. So Garrett Allen, who I think merited definite all-star uh, look, although I don't think he made it, has been a revelation for the Cavaliers this season. Well, they started off playing the, they started off playing like the two big look, similar to Minnesota. Um, 
And Allen, I mean, you know, here you go. Two, two guys, they had Mobley and Allen, both averaging over 10 boards a game, uh, both with over a block a game, um, anchoring the defense. And I think that Allen, who I saw play in his couple of years at Texas and really just thought he was, you know, he's going to be a catch and lob guy. I, I think he's gotten the confidence. I mean, that, you know, comes with, you know, four or five years in the league. Because, yeah, you're right. He has now become efficient around the hoop. You know, he's never going to – I don't think at this stage of his career we're going we're to see him, you know, be a guy who steps away from the basket. And I said he's played like four or five years. He's in his eighth season. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who steps away from the basket. But he shoots mid-60s percent in every year, um, you know. Doesn't he hasn't in, interestingly enough, Brian? You know how many threes he's he shot this I'm year? I'm gonna say four season. Let's say zero. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't shot a three in today's NBA. I just know, threw four out there as he's a random number because I didn't think he shot any. It, it 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 freaks me out. He's listed at six nine. And I know, you know, remember a couple of years ago they insisted that the players now measure in in uh socks no longer in shoes, and they wanted the heights to be accurate for every NBA player. Allen is listed at 6'9". He's one of the guys. He's He's got to be a Kevin Durant 6'9", Brian, because I don't think that Allen is, uh, is, is a 6'9". I think he is easily, I think he's easily uh, a 6'11 type of guy, and he plays... He plays like he's six foot eleven, Brian. So, Jared Allen, I I think as you rightly and wrongly, rightly as you said, I think he's a big uh, surprise, and he has really anchored. The yeah, Cleveland he's Cavaliers. been a revelation. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some votes for most improved player in the NBA because his impact on the Cavs, obviously defensively, but more importantly as an, in an offensive role, has uh, definitely boosted their fortunes. In this season. All right, I want to get to the Philadelphia 76ers because that to me is a story that is uh, obviously developing primarily based on the fact that the guy who may have been the leading candidate, at least from the Eastern Conference for the MVP this year, and we're talking about Joel Embiid, uh, went down with an injury. Now, the extent of the injury, we don't know. It's a, it's a meniscus, whether it's a, to- a tear or whatever, whether it's going to require surgery uh, has not been determined yet. But losing Joel Embiid, obviously a massive impact uh, with the Sixers team. The other team in the Eastern, well, one of the other, one of the other teams in the Eastern Conference that saw championship or bust in this season has to be a huge blow for the 76ers. I mean, Embiid may be the most unstoppable player in the NBA. I think that's hard to, hard to argue. But losing him certainly throws the biggest of monkey wrenches and their championship plans. I mean, Embiid was doing it from inside and outside. His free throw percentage was as best he's ever had. I mean, he's up at 88 for a big man. Remember when big men mm-hmm. couldn't shoot free throws, Brian? This is a seven-foot guy who's shooting 88.3% from the line. You know, And you think about how many times he goes to the line. In a game. 
He's always at the line. Yeah, he is always at the line. That's why he's averaging, you know, a career high 35 points a game. Now, as we were just talking about a team like Cleveland, when Embiid is out, the Philadelphia 76ers are in trouble. So, you know, he's Embiid's out and they continue to slip down the standings. I think it was it was last week you and I I was I was just saying to you, "Hey, do you imagine if the Knicks can uh, you know, if the Knicks can catch uh the Sixers and now, you know, the Sixers are now looking up at them, right? In the NBA standings. I mean, they're only, you know, they're only a game and a half behind, but still, I mean, Embiid, you know, who knows how long he may be out, right? So, um, you know, the the Sixers, I don't know if it bodes well for them. They are like, you know, five games, uh, you know, five games spe- spread with the sixth place team, which is the Pacers. So, I mean, hopefully Embiid can get back in the lineup for them before they get caught by the Pacers. So, yeah, I don't think the Sixers yeah. are, things don't look well for them. No, losing Embiid has been disastrous, will be disastrous, and certainly will derail whatever championship aspirations they have because the the Eastern Conference is too good to lose a player like, uh, well, there are no players like Joel Embiid, but to lose Joel Embiid has to be, you know, I mean, you bring a Nick Nurse championship pedigree. Uh, Tyrese Maxey has vaulted into, you know, the upper echelons of perimeter players in the NBA. Your bench has been playing well, and Embiid is on the MVP track, and then you'll lose him. Uh, it's nothing short of devastating. And I, I don't expect them to fall into the lottery like Charles Barkley said the other night, but they're not going to be a championship team without a healthy Embiid. There's no question about that. So you mentioned the Indiana Pacers. Newly acquired Pascal Siakam fitting right in. Tyrese Halliburton is coming back from what I think was a was it an ankle or some kind of lower body injury. Um, fun team to watch play. High-powered, high-octane, super intense offense. Uh, no defense to speak of. It's a joke with them. But a fun and up-and-coming team to watch. And the kind of team that you don't want to play in the first round of the playoffs, but I don't think that they're uh, in a position to be on a championship track, despite the fact that they were in the finals of the first preseason or in-season tournament. Um, they don't look like a team that's, you know, going to challenge anybody for a championship anytime soon. That being said, they can throw a monkey wrench into anybody's postseason's plan by the very fact that they do have that high-powered offense. And if they get going, they're hard to stop. So they're not a team that you want to see in the first round um, for any of the top four or five teams in the Eastern Cup. Well, you know, it's interesting. Right now they sit in six, and the Knicks are in the Knicks are in third. And just watching that game, what a contrast in styles. The Knicks are the best uh, team defensively in the East. And as we mentioned, you know, Pacers are the best offensively in the league. And it was interesting when they played each other, that game was played at a Knicks pace. Uh, Jalen Brunson, as I mentioned already, was he's a master at controlling the speed of a game. So that game was played at a Knicks pace, which shows me, you know, that the Pacers 
can be slowed down. And what do we know about playoff basketball, Brian? It's a slog. Exactly. So the Pacers style, until I see somebody win in the playoffs with this style of basketball, I mean, I can't be a full believer in the Pacers. And, you know, hey, they got Pascal Siakam, but they've still they've lost their last three games. Right. Yeah. Um, but Tyrese you know, Halliburton lost. has not played. Right. And that's a huge yeah, factor. And, for yes, it's true. Huge I mean, and, and his injury is a hamstring injury. Uh, so I knew it was they a rushed injury. him back. Yeah. Yeah, they rushed him back, right, Brian? He came back for a couple of games, and then he got hurt again, right? Well, you so, don't mess with hamstring um, injuries, especially when you, you know, quickness no. is your calling card. Exactly. You've got you have to make them heal. Yeah, you know, and yeah, they've you know, but also, I mean, without uh, with you know these last three games with Pascal without Tyrese playing fully, I believe he played in a bit in on minutes restriction in one of the games. Mm-hmm. They lost to the Celtics, the Knicks on the road, and then they lost at home to the Kings. And these are all playoff quality teams, right? These yeah. are all teams we fully expect to be in the playoffs. So when you lose, you know, three in a row to those teams, um, I think it shows your, even with the addition of Pascal, it shows to me that your tra- your trajectory is uh, is aiming downwards, you know? So... We'll see. I mean, it's 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 only three games. Well, I, you know, I wouldn't even say it's aiming downward, Keith, but maybe not quite ready for prime time just yet. You know, they are where they are in the middle of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference, but to get to the upper echelon, not just yet. Indiana Pacers. Well, not and what's just and what's yet. scary as well is the Heat and the Magic are only a game back right now after. Yeah, and those two They're teams lurking, aren't they? Particularly, particularly the Heat. Everyone, everyone in the Eastern Conference holds this fear of the Miami Heat that they, you know, they just sort of get their way through the season. And this is the Jimmy Jimmy uh, Butler factor. They kind of meander their way through the season, then the playoffs roll around, and they turn into this fearsome playoff monster. You know, I'm not sure how much of that mystique is actually true, but it seems to have some impact because people actually are, are buying into that. Uh, you know, we'll see because I think that uh, watching the Heat play this year, talk about a team that just looks, I don't know, discombobulated a little bit. Is that if that if I can use that word? It's kind of like they're half there and half not. In some games they show up, and some games they don't, which kind of is why they're hovering around just above five hundred. So, but. The Jimmy Butler factor has proven to be legit. When the playoffs come around, uh, playoff Jimmy is a is a real thing. So, what are they in the seventh slot right now, or the eighth spot? Yeah, they're in the seventh spot. The Miami Heat factor. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you got to look at that and think, okay, they're going to hover around there. They're going to do what they do, and then when the playoffs come around, nobody's going to want to play them. Oh, definitely. And I mean, Orlando and the Miami Heat are both just half a game behind the Pacers. They all three teams have yeah. 23 losses, but the Heat and Magic only have they have 26 wins whereas the Pacers have 27. So, half a game. Um and if honestly Brian, if I looked at those three teams, the team that I would expect to get into 6th and maybe even catch the 76ers for 5th is the Heat. 
I know that <laughs> I know that they have the confidence that they can, you know, go through the play in and get a spot. But you know, why would you want to? <laughs> and maybe have to face the Bucks or Celtics in the first round. You know, so yeah. I think you want to. You know, I think for any any of those lower uh, six, seven, eight, the Magic, the sweet spot is to try and get in a fifth and hopefully play against a Cavaliers team that might not be at full strength. Because I think right now these top three teams in the East are uh, playing, you know, at, and are playing at a level, uh, you know, that is above the other teams, clearly. Yeah, there's definitely a separation factor going on, as is in the Western Conference at the top of the Eastern Conference. Hey, hey let's talk about the Magic for a second, because I'm not completely sold on them as a playoff team. I mean, they started off the season, I think, red hot, but they've <clears throat> come back to the pack quite a bit since then. And what, they're currently in the eighth slot in the Eastern Conference. Um, they're a young team, Keith, so maybe we, we don't want to put the cart before the horse with them. Uh, they're a big team. But do you see them having a chance to advance in, in terms of their development as a legit playoff team? Or was it just like, hey, man, there's time to grow here, be competitive, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Well, you know what? I think that they are one of these teams. If they can get into the, you know, if they can get into the play-ins, which, I mean, currently they're an eighth, so they are in the play-in. If they can get into, through that play-in, I think this is a real learning uh, experience uh, for the for the magic, and I think they're here quicker than people thought they'd be. Uh, they're they're led Brian by you know Paulo Banquero, Franz Wagner. These are two twenty one year olds, Brian. Mm-hmm. Two twenty one year old players. Yeah, like I said, young. You know, young. contrast that with a team led by twenty twenty one year olds uh, like Detroit. You know what I mean? These guys are clearly ahead of where uh, we thought they would be. And you're correct. They, they're a big team. Um, they've got the big guys, you know, the Francis brother, Moritz, you know, Wendell Carter, Carter Jr. when he's healthy. Uh, you know, Bancaro's a big guy himself, Jonathan Isaac. Uh, but anyways, I think that because the leaders of this team and, and the clear leaders of this team are 21 years old that uh yeah these guys not I, w- I won't even say it's not like they're pretenders but i think they're here earlier than we thought they would be and that they have to go through they'll have to go through those steps before being a legitimate contender and i think that might be you know two three seasons away and, and remember jalen suggs who's now starting he's yeah. only 22 so you got three starters that are 22, yeah. 21, and 21. So I don't think that in, in the NBA you can go far uh, when your team is constituted like that, but I think they're in a great spot for the future. Yeah, no question. That that Talk about a bright future, and you'd have to talk about the Orlando Magic. All right, I'm going to skip ahead here and get right to our local team, the Toronto Raptors, because the rest of the Eastern Conference 
is is full of some of the worst teams in the NBA, not just by record, but by prospects. So we don't have to talk about them. But we should end this podcast by touching on what's going on with the Toronto Raptors. And look, once they divested themselves of Pascal Siakam and OG and Anobi, we knew that things were going to be tough, and they have been. Now they've been hit by injuries to uh, Rowan Barrett and uh, – sorry, R- not Rowan, that's his father – R.J. Barrett and um, Emmanuel Quickly, who just came back, and J- uh, Jakob Pertl. So their lineup's been a little bit shorthanded. Um, Scotty Barnes gets an all-star snub. That's to be expected given the record of the Raptors despite his lofty stats across the board. But we're seeing exactly what we thought we'd see from this Toronto Raptor team at this point in the season. Um, a team that's going to have to scrap to you know, win games. They're going to get some great performances. They're going to have some you know, in-between performances like the recent game against Houston. Um, not much to say there other than this. I hope they can manage their frustration for the rest of the season and know that this is something to build on for the future. Yeah, I, I think they understand where they are. You know, I think that, you know, they they know that they don't have all the pieces necessary. Um, they've got a couple of pieces and they, yeah, and they're definitely looking at yeah. the future. I think for Scotty Barnes, I don't think there's, you know, it's very rare that you get an opportunity to learn on the job, still be the man, but he's learning to be the man. I think this is going to bode well for him uh, in the future. Uh, I, I don't see a, a play-in game. They're only like four games back, but I don't see a play-in game uh, in their future. I mean, I think it would be great if they could get into it, but uh, and only a game for, you know, more experience. Um, you know, see if they, they mm-hmm. get those experiences where, you know, Scotty is now the man. I mean, you know, they had the play in last year and we know what happened there. The disastrous loss to Chicago. But um, I think this gives them a chance to to see the Jordan Nuara's play. I mean, he, he was playing the other night. I think, it you know, you get a chance to see, you know, Grady Dick. John, you know, your first round draft pick play, you know, real minutes in a game, not play, you know, at the end of games, you know, you get, he gets a little chance and a guy that I really like, and I mentioned to you, John Tay Porter, you know, he's had five starts, you know, you get, you yeah. get to see, is this guy, yeah. um, you know, he, he had some devastating leg injuries before coming into the NBA. Is he healthy and is he a legitimate NBA player. I mean, he was viewed as as a, a first round pick before all of his injuries. Um, you know, so he's getting a chance. I mean, you know, I think he's I think he's actually, believe it or not, I think he's actually out right now as well. But he was he is. He yeah, got a scratch was, cornea. You know, he was getting a, a real legitimate yeah. NBA shot. You know, and you know, we're seeing a Thaddeus Young. You know, maybe this is an audition for Thaddeus Young to move on because, quite honestly, the last year, I was kind of surprised that, you know, why isn't Thaddeus getting playing time? Because if you remember, at the beginning of last season, Brian, he was getting significant minutes, and then his minutes just Mm -hmm. went away, you know? So I I think you have to identify with the Raptors. Who are you going to keep here? 
And who's who are you going to move forward with? I mean, you know, Gary Trent Jr. is auditioning for everybody, not just the Raptors. So, yeah, I mean, this this looks like you know, playing for jobs time for the Raptors. It's a long time. I mean, they've only played 48 games. You know, you got 34 games to prove that you are an NBA player. So I think we're going to see a lot of players get an opportunity and well, and some players move on in season and, you know, some players targeted to move on after the season. Yeah, you, you mentioned Gary Trent Jr. And I got to think such poor timing for him. He's on the verge of a free age, a free agency and he's having uh, as up and down a season as you could possibly have for a guy in his position, which, you know, obviously doesn't bode well for your prospects in free agency. But, I mean, you got to make the best of your opportunity, don't you? Yeah. I mean, but you know as well, too, sometimes you got to move on, too. He's just the type of player the Raptors need, a guy who can, you know, get his own when he needs to, uh, a, a shot maker. But he hasn't been doing that. And I'm thinking, this is exactly the opportunity. A team that's really got no prospects means you're going to get a lot of shots. You're going to get a chance to showcase yourself for the future. You're young enough that they can keep you to build around with the rest of their young core. But he has not been consistent for them. And, you know, if you get a season-long audition, which for all intents and purposes, that's what this has been for Gary Trent Jr., and you show that you can't handle the, I don't know, the spotlight, the pressure, and rise to the occasion and, and prove yourself as a legitimate scorer, which is what he has to be in this NBA, um, then why would you want to offer this guy a long-term contract? Yeah, you know what? I, I don't see that in, in the way that Gary is playing. I don't see that in the Raptors' best interest at the moment. I mean, I think Gary Trent Jr., obviously, he's gonna, he wants a long-term de- deal, but I don't know, know if I see that in his future. I mean... You're right. He's woefully inconsistent. You know, goes out and knocks down 24 points against the Chicago Bulls last week. But then, you know, then he's got games also, you know, where he's got six points, 13 points, 12 points. And the thing is, Brian, is he is consistently getting the minutes. So it's not, you know, like even, you know, it's not like some players who go in there and, you know, there are some games they're, they're not playing. Other games, you know, they're playing 20, 25 minutes. Gary Trent Jr. is consistently getting 25 minutes plus every night uh, when they have a full roster or when the roster is not full. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not like he's like a Chris Boucher who some nights plays seven minutes, you know, and then other nights plays, you know, 20, depending on how... <laughs> how well he's going. Gary is getting, you know, as you said, he's getting every single opportunity. So, yeah, you have to think about if you're the Raptors, you know, you sign Gary for a long term. Is this what you're getting? You know, is this what you're signing up for? Uh, Does this help move your needle going forward? And the answer, in my mind, the answer is no. Um, You know, Gary just turned 25 two weeks ago. So he's relatively, you know, it's a young player, but in the, in today's NBA, you know, 25 is, uh, you know, a veteran, especially if you're a first-round pick, second-round pick. That's a veteran player. Yeah, no question. 
Yeah, missed opportunity. Well, to this point, a missed opportunity for Gary Trent Jr. for sure. Okay, Keith, I think we've covered our bases in both the Eastern and Western Conference in part one of episode 40. Uh, Part two is coming up. Don't you dare miss it. Thanks for listening. If you're listening to this announcement, you've made it to the end of another TIYT Narrowcast. The opinions, views, and statements you've heard on this edition of Puck and Hoop are solely those of the host, guests, and their sources. The purpose of the Puck and Hoop Narrowcast is to entertain and inform our listeners, followers, and subscribers, and to help them form their own opinions. Thanks for listening.